All right. So welcome to the second episode of the Database Podcast. Your hosts for this podcast are the staff of the Insight Consortium at the Indiana University School of Education. I am Dr. Molly Stewart, Director of Insight. I'm Rosh Thanaudi. I'm the data engineer on the team. And I'm Corey Hafner. I'm a systems programmer and analyst. So we work with school districts on interoperability and data quality using the EdFi data standard. Um, and through this work, we've come to realize that there are at least three different languages being spoken by the people working in this space. The language of databases and code, the language of teaching, learning, and educational leadership, and the language of research, which includes data science and statistics. This podcast aims to bridge the gaps among those three general areas because we, the more we understand how each group conceptualizes the same data-related topics, the more progress we can make towards solutions for educators and students that fully take advantage of best practices and cutting-edge knowledge in each of these fields of work. And I'll kick it over to Molly to introduce our guest for today. So our guest today is Marcos Alcozer, a K-12 analytics engineer who also works in the EdFi space. And we're gonna start the conversation around the idea of real-time data in K-12. Marcos, we're so excited to have you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like what path you took to get to where you are now, why you love what you do, and tell us what being an analytics engineer actually means. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me on your new podcast. This is so exciting. Uh, as you mentioned, I am an analytics engineer that focuses specifically on the challenges that we see around data in K-12. I started working in K-12 back in 2004 and have been fortunate enough to work in many different roles at the intersection of K-12 and tech. Uh, these days, though, I'm, I've become really obsessed with figuring out how to grow more talent in the space. So I personally want an analytics engineer in every district in the country and for that to become the norm so that educators, students, uh, and school leaders have data at their fingertips and are always using that to make decisions. I run a YouTube channel called K-12 Analytics Engineer where I post content regularly to help folks grow their skills. Every time I release a video with code in it, I also release the code free and open source. I am also very lucky enough to work with Sean Casey over at the EdFi Alliance. And on his team, we support LEAs and other education organizations around the country. And that work, we're able to provide uh, pro bono, which is just wonderful. So I can be a thought partner with a lot of people digging into this work. A quick answer to your question around kind of what is an analytics engineer? So I like to steal a quote from Kelly Burdine. Uh, she's an analytics engineer that does a lot of writing, is active on Twitter, and, and does a lot of podcasts. And what she says is that the analytics engineer is a person who is focused on cleaning, transforming, and preparing data for use in analytics. They maintain the documentation and testing around that data, and they use traditional software development tools such as version control in their workflow. And that really kind of hit home with me when I was uh, wearing my many different hats previously in my work in K-12, uh, because it means that as an in analytics engineer, you really are responsible for the whole pipeline. You're responsible for so sourcing the data, for transforming it, for documenting it, all the way to visualizing it and having conversations with your stakeholders. And we know in K-12 that people wear many hats all the time. And so I felt it like it was a nice way 
of saying kind of this is this is what you're responsible for um, rather than somebody having the title of analyst and then feeling uncomfortable because they're being asked to do things that they think is better suited for a data engineer, for example. Awesome. Thank you. So let's start talking about the idea of real-time data. Um, this comes up in pretty much all the conversations that we have about, or I should say the concept of time or lag comes up whenever we're talking about visualization. So when is this data, you know, accurate as of, et cetera. Um, but as we've talked with you before, um, you know, the, I, the getting real-time data into the hands of people who are gonna use it is kind of a technical challenge. So um, let's just talk about the idea of real-time data. And then um, I know we're gonna get into a lot of different technical topics that uh, relate to that. Yeah, and I think it's important to kind of define real-time data and, and in an ideal world that looks what that looks like. But it's also important to understand kind of how we're operating today. So in all of my analytics work, my data, I, I tell my stakeholders that it's current as of the previous school day. So I let, a, I let a day finish. And then at night, I have my batch ETL processes that are pulling that data into my data warehouse, transforming it, and refreshing the data products kind of for, for the next day. Uh, how does it work over at Insight, though, with your LEAs? So we have different use cases um, amongst our LEAs because we have one, a mixed group of districts in terms of demographics and size. And then also they each have different systems that they use, different student information systems. They each have like a slightly different conception of what they consider real time. Um, but in, in our normal flow, all of our districts are populating an EdFi operational data store and ODS on a near real-time basis. Once we do the initial load at the beginning of the year, um, all of the sys vendors that we support are live updating that data. Now, that's just on that side. Now, we don't, as, a, as an entity, have our own data warehouse or longitudinal data store, but we do have three or four districts that are working with a separate vendor um, who has the same approach that you just mentioned, which is they take data um, on some kind of schedule, push it to a data warehouse, and then adhere that data to a different model, which then is consumed by their users. But for insight purposes, our focus has been layering tools and exports and access to data on top of the ODS, which definitely has some pros and cons from a performance standpoint. Um, and I have actually really changed my conception of the value of the ODS from being this live real-time access to data, but really like the first layer of receiving of the data and then doing something with it. And that fidelity um, and that process has become more of my focus when in the past I was really hyper-focused on saying, no, I wanna really show people what's in the ODS, but that as your number of ODSs grow, and as your district size grows, and then as you have more and more clients, you then have to balance performance for all of these different partners. Um, and that becomes more challenging if you want them to see a live view of the ODS. So I would say we're in like this transitionary time where we're moving away from 
solely layering things on the ODS to looking at what are the other options. So that's where, as we've talked to you over the past couple of months, we've got to know your work. Um, it's definitely opened our eyes to more possibilities. And I think our districts are also in a place where they, they want real time, but also we've gotten good at engaging them in what they mean by that. And so I'm curious to see like in your work, as you have like set up this expectation that this is accurate as of the last day, what do you, what if any pushback do you get? And then how do you manage that expectation to say, here's the value of what I'm doing and why we need to have this kind of lag time of a day in order to do some really interesting stuff with your data? Yeah, and, and actually, I want to take a step back first, though, and go, sure, sure. because you mentioned the most upstream part of it, which I thought was awesome. You mentioned the CIS to the EdFi ODS. So on this podcast, we're kind of assuming that people are using the EdFi data standard somewhere in their infrastructure, or at least for right now in this conversation. And, and the first thing that a person does is they connect their CIS to send data to the ODS. Uh, and before we started recording this, I did some research and I went on Tech Docs, the internal EdFi site, and I was reading through the certification guide and it had a line that says, it says, for API clients, so for CISs that build an API client, an update to a field that, that maps to an EdFi API resource must trigger an API resource update. So what that means is something changes in the CIS, well, PowerSchool, Synergy, you've got to go change it at, in the district's EdFi ODS. And it says that it's permitted for those systems to wait to update the resource. Uh, it doesn't have to occur immediately so as to allow for batching or similar strategies. And that made me think about how, you know, in this conversation of real-time data, that assumes that the data going into the ODS is, is real-time. Mm. And I thought about how with, with some CISs, I know with PowerSchool, with attendance, grades, and transcripts, that's not real-time. You have to uh, actually schedule it, and the smallest interval is daily. And then with Illuminate DNA, an assessment vendor, that is nightly as well. So that's not, that's not happening real time. Um, can you think of, of other examples? Because that just, that just also says, you know, well, if the data you need is not being updated in the ODS in real time by the source vendor, then you're not going to achieve your real time analytics. Right. Yeah. And, and that's been a really fun conversation to have with districts. And also, if I look at us four years ago, when we were first pitching EdFi and Insight, our view was that, well, you just turn things on and things will flow out of your system in real time. And then you'll be able to see things in real time, like as soon as somebody takes this action. But there's so many steps in between that, that are kind of we need to parse out. And we have only gotten good at that in the last couple of years where we have been focused up front to say, if this is what you want, if you want your ODS to be populated as soon as somebody enters a field, then here are all these steps that you need to take to do that. It's not just a button push. It is some technical stuff. It is training some users on where they need to go to fill that field that you would want in the ODS. Um, there are some mappings that you have to do. 
There's these kinds of crosswalks that need to be part of that process. So there's all this kind of built up and expected behavior um, that's part of that. And, and that's where we have shifted our focus to instead of just having it be like, okay, your, your API is just working, but like what it takes to make the API work for you is a slight difference in, in like framing, but has helped us meet our um, promises to districts in a much better way than at the beginning where we just conceptualize this as just turnkey, which is sometimes the word that gets associated with real time that you say, hey, when you turn things on, it'll just flow. And for some reason, those two ideas get like really tightly coupled. And if you set that up as the expectation in the beginning, then people like people really hold on to that. Um, and so we've had to be really hyper-focused on not setting up that coupling from the jump, like you've mentioned, because there are those steps, those intentional steps to take at the very beginning um, and even throughout the process to maintain the real-time flow of going in. Like, let's say in an EdFi context, um, maybe there's some weird upstream error with one of the domains that threw an API error. And then that means all the downstream data isn't getting populated and it's all backlogged. Like maybe a student ID was messed up or their birth date was malformed. And so the district is thinking, hey, I've put all this data in the right places, but there's just this one log jam that's preventing their attendance or their grades from coming in because there's this upstream issue. Um, and it takes practice and time and training to help people start to see it as real time can flow, but I have to manage that flow to make sure there are no barriers. And then also that the flow has started effectively. So I, th I think I, I think I answered your question. Maybe I didn't, but feel free to tell me that I did. Well, I think it, I think it's a mix. I think that you absolutely pointed out an, an important part, which is that you know the, the person who's asking for the data product that needs a shorter refresh cycle, uh, needs to engage with the data person on the governance side of understanding where does that data land in the sys uh, to produce that end data product. Uh, and then the other piece that I would just add is, is that the data person also has to understand if it's technically possible, because again, mm -hmm. you could put attendance in the right place and in probably many of the sys's uh, and it, it's only going to get into your ODS um, at night. Uh, to go back to a question though that, that you asked me, you had mentioned, well, have have I received pushback on this? You know, the data products are up to date as of the previous school day, uh, and I've certainly received some pushback on that. When I was an analytics engineer at Intrinsic Schools, uh, there, you know, as many schools do at the end of the day. Uh, if you are on a sports team, you're going to board a school bus on some days to go to uh, to go to your game. Uh, and the athletic director told me that, you know, the grade distribution report I created showed student grades as of the previous day. But what they needed to know is that when school let out and at 415, when students were getting on the bus, are any of the players failing a course? Uh, and so if they were failing it yesterday but they're not failing it at that time that they're getting on the bus or vice versa, flip it, um, then they need to know. And so that data product needed to be up to date. And that, that was tricky because the uh, grade endpoint for EdFi for every sys vendor except Synergy uh, only sends posted final grades. 
it doesn't send the current in progress grade. And actually we're working on that and, and stay tuned because there's some really exciting work going on there. I don't think that's gonna be a problem in the future, uh, but it was at the time. And so I had to maintain a separate ETL process uh, to pull, I was using uh, Illuminate Sys at the time, to pull a refresh of grades 15 minutes before the school day ended to refresh the data product to meet that, that user's needs. But that's a really, like wh what you're bringing up is a really interesting nuance in real time, I think, because for that particular athletic department, for them, real time is at the end of the day before I, at the end of the school day, before we start our athletic activities for the purpose of eligibility, right? And I think, can you talk a little bit more about as you have engaged people in the discussion around data and analytics, like why it's important that you tease out exactly the cadence that they need for that data to be available and when is it accurate as of? Because I think that's an interesting and an important conversation in our field because you could have said, well, this is how this works, but then you found a way around it because you negotiated with them for their particular business need. Um, so can you walk us through like, what are some strategies that you use to tease out that nuance in real time, just like you did in that scenario? Yeah, and I, and I would just, because we should get into it later, I would just clarify, I don't consider that real-time analytics. Right. I just consider it an additional refresh of one table in the, in the data mart. When I think about real-time analytics, I, I think about uh, as data changes in the operational stores, mm -hmm. then the downstream uh, data marts or data warehouse layers also changing. And we get into other technologies that we should definitely dive into. But when it comes to kind of uh, negotiating that piece, uh, I, just, I just like to remember that with an analytics engineer, their job is to understand and to meet the needs of their users. And that's the school leader, the teacher, and that's the students. So you don't write a bunch of ELT code and do all this data modeling and build visualizations um, just to do it. It's sure fun to do, but like you, your job is to be customer service oriented and to listen to those needs. And so frankly, I, I always got excited when somebody like an athletic director like came to me because they told me that if my data product did X, then it would allow them to do Y because I, I just felt like then I could kind of unlock or remove some friction um, in people's like workflows. And so it was my job to understand parts of their job uh, and to figure out kind of how I can take the, the thing I'm good at. It's like, I wouldn't be good as an educator. I wouldn't be good at a lot of roles in a school, but I'm certainly good at data. And so I could take the thing that, that I'm good at and I can help remove some friction in their workflow so that, they, so that they can do the work that they need to do. So before we move on, um, I wanna ask one follow-up question on um, like your example with the athletic director. So uh, this example, this question may not be relevant to that district, but it's gonna be relevant to some districts. So if you have, let's say grades, from 
a given day and you need to know what the grades are at the end of that day. But you have a learning management system and you have a student information system. And those things are connected, but teachers are entering into the LMS and the SIS may only be getting those updates at a certain point in time. Um, like we've talked a little bit about how much do system users or folks on the ground need to know about how data flows and when it's flowing. Um, and that's an example to me that really highlights that like maybe they do need to know, but I would be interested in hearing any examples that you have from that. And then I know that um, Rosh has some examples from our work with Insight too. Yeah, that's such a great question. And that's such a data governance thing there, right? And because every district who uses an LMS and uses a CIS grade book, they all have different viewpoints there. Should the two grade books be kept in sync uh, should you use one roster, which side note, I love one roster. And if you can do that, you should. Um, should you use that to, to keep them in sync or are they different? Is, is the, the CIS grade book the official record? And there are things that you put in the LMS grade book that don't go in, in the CIS grade book. Do you track more participation type stuff in the LMS that don't get reflected in the final grade that, that lands? at the end of a, a marking period. All of that to say though, is that the district needs to communicate to teachers, uh, work with teachers to make those decisions and communicate to parents. Because even before you get to any data product level, like they need to tell the, the parents which portal they should be logging into to look at their, their child's grades. And that's probably the, the conversation to focus on the most if you're, if you're in a district as a data person and you're, you're grappling with this. Focus on that use case, uh, help the parents first, and through that conversation around what you tell the parents and guardians, you're going to learn what your data product should do. Because if, if you're telling the guardians that they should be logging into the LMS one and that's the one, uh, then that's likely your your data source and at least where you start the conversation around what you should sculpt on the the data product side how much do you have a say like in the this is probably going on another tangent but you, you mentioned data governance so how much as an analytics engineer do you wade into that realm and how much do you inform that process or are you just there to like what's your role in the development of data governance that would say hey, we have these, this constellation of systems and we need to apply these principles to it. Where does an analytics engineer fit into that process? And let's first briefly define data oh, governance sure. for yeah. our listeners. Who wants to give that a shot? <laughs> I have a slide somewhere with it. I didn't prepare for that. <laughs> I, I will take a shot at it. Um, and be, be vulnerable here that, you know, when I talk about data governance, what, what it means to me, and I'm sure there's an official definition and I'm gonna miss pieces, but it, it's all about kind of the definitions of data and your various sources and how it gets tracked and updated and by whom and through what processes. And, and data governance exists everywhere, always, mm -hmm. whether or not 
you are at the point in your career where you know to focus on it explicitly. It's still happening. People are still making decisions on what to do in your operational systems and putting in the information around transfers or attendance or, or things of, of that nature. Um, and Raj, to go, go to your question about the analytics engineer, you know, I was drawn to that, that phrase because that talks about data governance being such an important part. Uh, it, testing and documenting the, the data. And I, I myself around that customer service route, I'm also in, in general, just a big geek and, and a technologist. And so I like to know how things work at, at all levels of IT, but I, I focus on my, my analytics work. But the reason why, why I bring that up in terms of kind of, well, what, what say does an analytics engineer have is that you've got to, you've, you've got to ensure that there are good data governance practices happening. And the way to do that is to work with the people that are, are working with the data in the source system. So let's say you're the person in your school who's in charge of attendance, right? You wanna understand their process, but you can't go and email them and tell them to write it down in a Google doc, like they're not gonna do it. Uh, and so you need to build a relationship with them. You need to understand uh, their work and not just their process, but also just their work. What does a day look like um, to them? And you as an analytics engineer, as a technologist, can likely find some ways to reduce some friction there, right? Like maybe they're doing a bunch of things in Excel or Google Sheets and you sh if you show them some cool tricks, like it will ease their workflow. Um, and so you help them a little bit and then they'll help you a little bit and engage in conversations and you'll start to understand the, the data governance aspects of say attendance at, at the district. Um, and through that, I think you're always in a, a place where you can put in some opinion and you can start to become a part of the conversation because you don't get to go in there and tell everybody what to do, um, but you do get to make sure that you, you have a seat at the table and you, you understand the decisions that the, the org is making. That attendance example actually reminds me of an early conversation that we had with one of our districts and thinking about when we needed our visualization to update in terms of like the idea of real time, right? Because the default view in our original visualization was, you know, as of the night before. But this district had a use case where they wanted to know who was in the building as of, you know, 11 a.m., right, who needed to be reached out to, what parents needed to be called. Um, and so, you know, for that district, we ended up just doing like a second sync. But, um, you know, and thinking about attendance, especially is that's a big data set. That's at least one record per student per day, maybe eight records per student per day if you're taking section attendance. Um, so there's a performance trade-off there, right? We um, so let's just talk about like the idea of performance trade-offs and how much data is flowing and how often we want to set things up to flow and and what decisions we need to make with the users in terms of what performance they want to see. Yeah, and I think part of that also comes down to understanding again your sys's edify integration and around is it sending all attendance events or is it only sending all non-present ones and, and can you tweak that 
And so you can, so right there, if you start at, at the kind of most upstream piece, you can make decisions. Uh, and then, and then further down, if you're, and this is part of actually the modern data stack and analytics engineering, which go, go hand in hand. And I've been around for about five years and I encourage people to, to read about it. But what it, it also talks about is the use of the cloud and, and moving to, to the cloud as much as possible to ease your workflows. Because again, you're doing many things. So you should ease your work and wherever you can. And when you get into the cloud, then you start to have just more compute and more storage and the ability to, to increase that as needed. And so uh, we now live in a world where you can just throw some memory and vCPUs at a SQL instance, or and you can use a cloud data warehouse like Snowflake and, and BigQuery, um, which does massive parallel processing. Uh, and so I think more and more it's becoming uh, less of an issue, but you definitely have to look at your architecture to make sure you're designing it in such a way where it is less of an issue. So um, in our work with New Mexico, um, this, this came up actually very recently as they're building out their EDFI implementation, is that currently in their state reporting process, attendance num numbers are aggregate measures for each student that sends their number of days attended, number of days absent, um, and then there's another aggregate metric too that's sent related to attendance. Um, and as we've been building out the EDFI specification, um, a vendor and a district said, hey, currently the math and the procedure to calculate those aggregates are disparate and split amongst each one of your SIS vendors in the state or whoever is making those calculations. So everybody has a slightly different approach to calculating those numbers. Wouldn't it make sense because you're going to EDFI that you don't just continue to collect the aggregate, but you collect the granular level data to then host the calculation at the state entity that is normally receiving and doing something with that information. I thought that was a really good point that they brought up that's not necessarily performance related, but it goes back to the governance question, which is, do you want to farm out your governance? So that's like one thing that came up there. And then the second was then we also negotiated, should we get positive attendance in addition to negative attendance? And then we had to negotiate, what are the different modes of assuming that a student is present? And how do you feel okay with that? And how do you build governance around the fact that you're going to be only doing negative attendance, which means that you're making an assumption about a certain data point that is assumed to be there, but is not physically there in the data store. And then building your cultural and governance practices around that to say, okay, that means you need to send us calendar, the dates of the calendar, the events of the calendar, and the negative attendance. And those are the pieces of information that we'll use to construct the entirety of student data because vendors told us, if you're gonna ask us to send positive attendance, that's gonna put a strain on the district's performance. And then also from an infrastructure standpoint, you're gonna to have to scale up because that data set starts to balloon when you have a row per student per school day maybe even two per school day if they do half days, right? And that's a that was a significant concern um, from the standpoint of just the storage of it. We haven't even gotten to the 
the calculation part of things. So from our standpoint, the things that we have engaged with has been mostly negative attendance in this context, but there are those like upstream from the vendor standpoint performance issues, there are the downstream performance issues when you're dealing with burgeoning data sets as they grow. Certainly, maybe Marcos, you can talk about this. There's, there's many advances in data technologies lately um, in the last few years that maybe make those calculations trivial. But can you talk a little bit more about that from your perspective in terms of performance and, um, and being super granular or maybe being not as granular when you have these supporting data points? Before Marcos answers that, I wanna uh, throw out one more um, follow-up on what Rosh was saying before. So uh, with this example of um, data being, attendance data being reported already having been calculated versus being reported um, or data being sent as the raw attendance data itself. That's a really interesting um, data transparency issue and related to, I think, you know, uh, reliability because you know, if we're looking, especially for accountability data, we're talking about state reporting data in this context. If, if data is sent as an aggregate measure, something that's already been calculated, and you can't go back and check that calculation to see if everything matches up, that could be a really big problem. So there's a, a real advantage there to having the raw data. You can always check your calculation how many students were absent, how many students had that negative attendance, you know, on a given day versus how many days there were. Let's use that same calculation on all the raw data for every CIS, every district. And we can really trust that metric more than we could trust these disparate, you know, calculation um, processes. It, not that anyone would be doing it maliciously, that's not what I'm saying, but just you know, things can be interpreted differently or, or people have different systems and processes. And um, I, I think that's a really important point to make in terms of why we need that granular data so that we can do that reliability testing, especially when there's, you know, compliance issues at play. It, and it also gets to the core of like, what's the role of an ODS, right? An ODS is meant to store detailed data uh, and your warehouse downstream is, is meant to store summarized and detailed data, but the, the ODS is meant to store a certain grain size and, and that's detailed data. And so you want to send attendance. Uh, although it's interesting that even a student's all day attendance is an aggregate, right, of their section attendance. But there's, but like the CIS is sending the section attendance. The CIS has the logic that the district configures in the system to calculate the all day attendance and then they send the school. So you're, you're getting, you're getting both. Um, and I think on the question of, you know, just should they send all attendance or only the non present marks? I do want to say that I, I think it's right to only send the non kind of positive attendance. And you actually see this in the analytics middle tier 
where because as Rosh said, like you need the calendar, you need the calendar dates, you need all of these things if you're only going to send non-positive attendance. And that's in the EdFi SIS certification to send those, those things. And what the analytics middle tier does in the attendance fact table is it looks at those things. It looks at the attendance that's in the ODS and it produces a row per student per date that they are enrolled. And so if there is no attendance record for today for a student because they're present, there is in the downstream fact table um, once you denormalize that for, you, for your analytics. So just because you store less in the ODS because you want to also limit the amount of API calls as a vendor that you're doing, because remember the EdFi API doesn't have bulk API in, so you have to make individual requests. Even if you're uh, scoping it down there, which I think is smart, less resources, you still then get a row per student per day that they're enrolled in your analytics layer. Can you talk a little bit more about, we're being like a little bit EdFi specific here, but um, can you talk about the performance trade-offs when you are, you have an ODS that's being updated from an upstream system, and then also using that same data store to then either build a dashboard on top of, or do some reporting directly off the ODS. Um, their analytics oh, middle tier, you mentioned that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you, can you just walk us through like the pros and cons of that and, and maybe why we need to take a further look at looking at the ODS in a certain context and maybe not layering so many, like from our standpoint, we're being pretty heavy on our ODSs here because of the things that we're doing with it. But it would be helpful for us, just for our own growth, to just talk through you know, those trade-offs that are very real. Yeah, I really love this meaty topic and I'm going to kind of bounce around. I'm, I'm sure, 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 absolutely. And we, we can drill in, yeah, where, where necessary. But, uh, you know, not every database is, is created equally and databases are created, those, those technologies are created for certain use cases. And so an operational data store uh, for EdFi runs in SQL Server or Postgres and it's meant to be highly transactional. So you're meant to be creating uh, rows of data, updating those rows, deleting them. And that is the purpose, is that high frequency of, of updates in what's called an online transaction processing system. And the ODS is best to be kept uh, to just that use case because the, the data in that it uses something called uh, row-based storage, where each row in a table is, is stored by, by itself and in, in its own block. And when you look at cloud data warehouse products that are not OLTP systems or online transaction processing systems, a Redshift, a BigQuery, a Snowflake, those are online analytical processing systems or, or OLAP those are meant for analytics. And the reason why is because they store the data by column, um, which is, it took me a while to understand what that means, but I'm gonna give it a shot. So think about what you're doing on the analytics side. Like what you're doing is you're summarizing data for a certain strategic need. So let's say you are running a 
uh, query either a sum or an average on an entire column of attendance data because you're calculating the average daily attendance. So because you are aggregating a column, you want a columnar storage database, like a BigQuery or a, or a Snowflake. And if you were to run analytical queries on a row-based system, on an ODS, you are simply going to see poor performance as that database grows. And we've seen that at the Edify Alliance. There, there are tracker tickets out there where uh, analysts say, I started using the analytics middle tier, specifically the views that are on the ODS. And as the school year went on, the queries got slower and then they stopped returning data. So the query that worked on the first day of school doesn't work 20 weeks into the school year as the data grows. And that's because the, the row-based database, specifically the ODS, um, is not meant to handle that. And, and the analytics middle tier does some cool things to try to like combat that, like it creates additional indexes and all of these things. But the, in my opinion, the path of least resistance is to just keep the ODS for what it's supposed to do, high number of transactions, detail level, move the data when you need the analytics use case, move the data to a cloud data warehouse and use that for your, your analytics, and you're not going to see performance issues. How'd I do? But is, but is there, is there, is there, what are the situations um, or use cases that an ODS might fulfill where the row, like the row level storage is more efficient? Is, are there any oh, yeah. use cases? Okay. No, absolutely. So just, yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking that. Row-based storage, the database engines that the EdFi uh, technology team use, that they, that they use for the, the ODS, they're making the right choice. They, they're not focused on analytics. What they're asking themselves is, how do I give storage to the EdFi API to allow efficient reads and writes? That's what they care about. Sys is updating records, the assessment vendors updating records. And so they give a SQL server or a Postgres database that's row-based storage, absolutely the right call. There, as the tech team focused on the ODS layer, their use case or needs different than the analytics engineer. And so they're making a different choice in, in database technology. Yeah, I mean, that makes us really think about the direction that, that we're going in right now because the kind of intro so this this relates back to that real-time piece that we started on this rabbit trail on um is that for our districts one of the things that they highlight to us is like a really pressing need is the ability to get all that data in one place and then also to be able to get it reliably um, and in the past, as we have been thinking through things, one of the things that reinforces reliable is that as soon as they make a change, that they're able to see the results of that change in the visual layer that you're presenting to them. And anytime that you have that gap in between where the data is landing and the transformations and moving to another location, there is that like very real gap. And I think we just need to get better at explaining that and telling them why they're actually getting more value if we do it 
in a way that's more aligned with the, the data structures that we're using and why the data structure that we've layered the current visualizations on may hit that, that ceiling. And it's very real because we've had to do a lot of work with performance on our, on our dashboard. Like as we get into bigger districts and in Indiana, we don't have giant districts. Like our, our largest district is on 20 some thousand. So, you know, we're nowhere near where some really large districts are in the, in the country. But even for those districts, once you get above 12,000 or so, the API performance and even the database performance really starts to hit like you mentioned, as you get further and further into the school year, because you're calculating and you're getting so many rows back in those views um, compared to the beginning of the year. So it's a, it's a very real thing that we're right in the midst of right now, because we're trying to walk this tightrope between this utility and promoting the actual like value of the ODS, but we're promoting the value of the ODS in this tool that may actually be putting an, the ODS at a disadvantage and showing off its its capabilities, which is a weird place for us to be because right. we we want to get districts understanding the value of the ODS. Um, and I think at the beginning of our project with the Edify core dashboards, and even now we're kind of pigeonholing ourselves and maybe exposing the flaws of the ODS. But maybe that's a good thing for districts to kind of see, and and then maybe say, okay maybe we should look at something different. Well, and it's a flaw of the ODS for analytics. Well, a yeah, limit. Exactly. Let's, it's let's not remember. a flaw, right? Sorry, sorry. It's yeah, a yeah, limit. Yeah. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you, Molly. But let's remind ourselves of why everyone on this podcast believes that EdFi is the future. Like EdFi is the future because when a vendor builds an integration, mm -hmm. it shifts the responsibility of data movement to the vendor. I, as an analytics engineer, no longer need to go scrape your web page or ask for a CSV extract and then go retrieve it. Instead, I stand up my API. It's the same API as everyone else standing up EdFi. I give a key and secret to a vendor and they send me my data back to me. Like that is huge. And so like, that's why we, we use it. But, but I do think that... Uh, I do think that when you get into the analytics, you need to look at a different store. I also think that this all roads to the ODS isn't a dream that can be fully realized. Uh, and the best example in my analytics workflow has been when an educator shows me a Google sheet of some data that truly is important and they need it in a data product. Right there, that just blows every blows everything up. If your if your goal is all roads to the the ODS, because you need to figure out how to get that data in there. What I like to do is uh, recommend standing up EdFi, having the vendors that have integrations put the data into your ODS via your API. Have that ODS be just a piece of your infrastructure. Right, you have a different cloud data warehouse. You have BigQuery or Snowflake for your analytics piece, and your EdFi data is going to go. Once the vendor puts it into your ODS, you're going to take it back out via the API. I'm a big fan of the API over the ODS. You're going to take it back out, put it in BigQuery, and in BigQuery or Snowflake, you are going to add in the other data, like your teacher's Google Sheet or some other data set that you have that, that isn't in the ODS because it's, it's just 
for the analytics, it's all roads lead to the cloud data warehouse, not to the ODS. So Marcos, oh, sorry. what about, I mean, that that's definitely a huge question, you know, that we come up against as well. And my, like, if, if you don't have that data source coming to you through an API or like, you know, what's your method for getting those other data sources into your, into your warehouse? Is it, is it just a, a file? Like, I yeah, that's really my question. This, <laughs> if you ask me this question every like four months, I'm going to give you a slightly different kind of answer because <laughs> it evolves so fast. And so yeah. I, six months ago, I, for the, the education organizations that I, I build data products for, I was building a lot of uh, like cloud functions. So Google Cloud has a cloud function, AWS has a Lambda function. They're meant to be these small little functions that do one thing uh, really well. And so for example, like NWEA map data, like all it does is hit their API every night, grab those three CSVs, dump them into the warehouse and that's it. Uh, and so that, if you, if you only have a few uh, data, data sources you need to go fetch data from, I think that that's the way to go. Uh, more recently, I've becoming more and more obsessed with Dagster, which is a data orchestrator. So many people are familiar with Airflow, which is a workflow orchestrator. What Dagster says is Dagster is a platform to orchestrate data jobs. And so all of your jobs move data out of some source system into a target system, does transformations, like exactly what we do. And Dagster uh, in every job produces an asset, a table in your cloud data warehouse. And Dagster tracks those assets. So you can look at a table and Dagster will tell you, how often is this refresh? When was the last time? How long did it take? How much data is in it? And it can start to surface, it can start to surface stale assets, right? So if you look in, the reporting environment for intrinsic schools, there's 125 data models there. Like I need something to tell me what's gotten stale so I can react to it. I can't go through every single, every single one. And so I really recommend in addition to the EdFi technology suite, an analytics engineer adopting an orchestration platform. I love Dagster. There are other really great ones out there like Airflow and Prefect, but adopting one and using that as the, the platform that they write Python in to go and uh, fetch the data loaded in your cloud data warehouse, and then use a tool like DBT to transform it. So just there's, there's a lot there that you just gave us. And because we have an audience that comprises non-technical folks as well, or maybe administrators that are looking for an entry point to this, like all the various tools that you mentioned, um, can you give us some resources that folks that are maybe not technical, but are looking to either become an analytics engineer or find somebody to staff up in that role, how can they get into this space to, to even start? You know, because there's a lot out there. And like you mentioned, things are changing almost every couple of weeks, you know, with new technologies and, and new tools coming out. So what are some ways that people have an entry point? And then also to stay abreast of what is going on 
because even from me being on, on the technology side, like I feel like I'm always behind in understanding what are the available options out there. And I, I'm putting myself in the shoes of those that aren't in technology that increasingly are going to have this need. What are some strategies and what are some resources that people can go to to get familiar with the terminology of what you just talked about? And then also the tooling that is around that terminology. Yeah, that's such a good question. Because if, if you go back to kind of the start of the show, I mentioned like my uh, another one of my biggest obsessions right now is just figuring out how to build talent in the space because I want an analytics engineer in every district in the country. And if so, and if you are a school leader or educator and you really want the the data in front of you to be informed, to get insights, to make your decisions based on data, but you don't have that analytics engineer today, uh, you, you can still be thinking about your use cases and the things that matter most to you and starting to sculpt that. Uh, but it is this like, the, this work does involve, it involves your teachers, it involves your community, it involves your school leaders, and it involves somebody who has those data skills. And so you need to partner with either a managed services partner, like an education analytics, they're big in the EdFi space, Landing Zone, and there are many others, or bring on a, a contractor and build a good relationship with them or hire um, and hire somebody with proven success or that you're gonna, that, that are gonna grow their skills. And, but if you start focusing on the use cases today, then you're gonna be ready for when that, that technical person joins your team. Because I said previously, a, a data person doesn't build just to build. They're, they're looking for those stakeholders to say like, wow, we really, we wanna put a focus on chronic absenteeism. And this is what we believe um, we, we need to see. Uh, and so the stakeholders need to be ready to communicate that. Uh, and the data person will be thankful for it. I remember when I started reporting on learning standards, they made no sense to me when I started. And I used to have so many meetings with teachers where all it was was me asking them questions to understand like common core and, and state standards and how it's organized. And, um, and so the, the data folks definitely need uh, educators to build that background knowledge to produce really great products. So I have a question, which is always something that we are working around, which is cost. And one of the big reasons why we built our architecture the way we did and our visualization the way we did was to minimize costs. You know, we didn't want to take on more than we could afford and we didn't want to charge our member districts more than we already are. So, um, you know, it sounds like the technology is evolving really quickly and efficiently so that, you know, things that maybe previously were pretty expensive are now becoming open source or really more efficient, like thinking about DBT being open source and Snowflake being um, you know, compute only cost. Um, but I'm also thinking related to that is our decisions regarding 
you know, visualizing something with a BI tool um, has, I mean, there's just a lot of trade-offs like with security and permissions and who's going to be looking at this, who's going to be using it. Is it going to be available to every teacher? Is it only going to be available to district level right. users or school level users? Like, I know this is a really big question, but um, it's, it's always going to be something that we are uh, taking into account. And I know you work directly with schools, so it's probably something you've thought about too. It, it's, a, it's a really important question and one that I, I, like you said, yeah, always think about because so early on at Intrinsic Schools, when I was working with data, I built a full stack web app and that was a terrible idea because I, I spent so many nights working on it because I didn't have enough time during the day and it required so much work. And so I needed to move. I was a team of one. If you have a, a bigger team, you can make that decision. I was, I was <laughs> one who was also a break fix IT on a one-to-one -one Chromebook environment. So I had to keep the 1200 Chromebooks working too. But um, I needed to look to, for an off-the-shelf solution. And so I called up Tableau uh, and the quote was, uh, the quote was half a million dollars because all of my data products went to everybody, including the students. And so students needed licenses. And what I found when speaking to uh, analysts and other organizations is they, they were using expensive BI products and then making the decision, well, these teachers don't get it. Like they don't, they're not going to use it. Let's not use a license seat on them. Students don't get it. Um, they don't get access because we cannot afford it. Uh, and so when I was looking at the products, that's when Google Data Studio went out into beta. And that's the visualization platform that I use today. That is one that uh, just shines with Google BigQuery, has a row and role level security baked in. It uh, is free. And uh, an open source alternative is Apache Superset, which is, which is also free and works wonderfully with cloud data warehouse products. And so I started to go that route. And then even on the EdFi piece, when I started working with EdFi, EdFi was $500 a month because it required a SQL server license for the ODS and the community voice that they wanted an open source solution. So now EdFi supports Postgres. You're, if you um, look at some Google Cloud EdFi deployment, things that I put out there that I've written about, put on YouTube, shared the code, uh, that runs a base cost of $30 a month, so down significantly. I helped an education service center in Georgia implement EdFi for eight of their districts, and they do not pay a monthly cost on the API and admin app. They only pay on the ODS part, uh, and it's significantly lower than it would have been three or four years ago. And even, even in cloud, you always have to look at costs. We, their, their database bill went up to $900 two months ago, and then we brought it back down to 400 just by tweaking the resources. A little bit of memory here, a little bit higher connection limits. Um, and so we, we played with that. And so cost is super important. It's something you always have to, to focus on. Um, with the Dagster orchestrator, I've been testing out a bunch of scenarios and I've got it to the point where you're batch updating data every single night and it costs you under $10 a month because what you're doing is you're adopting an ELT workflow 
that is batch. And so you can run it on a VM in the cloud that starts up at midnight, runs the job, shuts down at, at 1 a.m. And that's it. You pay for what you use. You use it an hour a day. Uh, and so always thinking of strategies like that, which gets us all the way back to the real time data conversation, right? Which is like another piece of it. Like there's a cost to it. Um, we we uh, haven't gotten into it yet, but if you did go down the route of wanting to stream changes in your ODS to a cloud data warehouse, you are running infrastructure 24 seven that is tracking changes on that database, processing those changes in your cloud data warehouse. And it is significantly more expensive um, than, than if you were batch updating. But then you're getting the value of that, that whole stack and you're minimizing costs if you put some if you put some thought into the design of that ELT, right? Because you're saying, hey, here's the cadence. This cadence is going to be a trade-off because you're not going to get things immediately, but here's how much we're going to save and here's the quality of product that we're getting on the other end. I think that's a really compelling argument to make more than just saying like, hey, we're just trying to cut corners and save money here or there, but it's saying like, hey, an intentional design gives us an intentional end product, which means that we can build some buy-in because we're giving thought to all parts of this stream. When in the past, and I think one criticism that I have of like the analytics folks that are in the K-12 ed tech space is that it's really presented as like a black box without having to think about the, pro the really complex processes that involve people um, and involve expectations. And so we've frequently had Actually, it's it's getting the tide is shifting a little bit because as we talk to school districts lately, they are they are cluing into that really quickly because they've seen peers invest in something and then spend a lot of time and money and not yield a lot of product or not yield a lot of effect because they said, hey, we're buying this thing that looks really cool and they say it's going to do everything that we want and then they implement it and then nobody ends up using it, which is you know, probably not limited to just analytics, but in analytics, it becomes so much more um, exposed because now you're saying, hey, we had brought a tool in that we thought was going to help us answer some questions and nobody was willing to use it. And it still doesn't answer that question about, hey, we didn't build buy-in. Like you mentioned way at the beginning with that athletics department is like understanding the need and then building the tooling around that need um, is definitely, I think, within our community in the EdFi world, um, we've at least started to move in that direction where we're being really hyper-focused on the use cases. And that's why there's like starter kits and things like that and approaches. But the EdTech analytics world is still very much, everything is give it to us and we'll take care of it for you, which yields some not great results after time and money has been spent. But when you, what you've been talking through today gets those stakeholders in during the process, gets into the nitty gritty. Everybody may not understand everything, but you expose those ideas and those concepts and those technologies to as many people. And then people feel like they have buy-in into what they're doing. Um, and that's, that's been our kind of framework shift when we've been presenting insight services to districts is moving away from like, hey, we'll do all these things for you and EdFi does everything and you know you don't need to worry about it to more like, hey, here, here's what we're using. Here's what it's used for. Here's where you come in. Um, 
and making that an upfront conversation so that expectations are being set appropriately. Um, can you talk us through like your process in doing that as well? Because you know you have the responsibility as an analytics engineer of like learning how to parse out these tools that offer these great resources, but bringing it to the person that you're dealing with and then maybe only presenting them certain pieces of it. Do you have some strategies that you incorporate to help with that? Because I think that's a really important skill that anybody that's looking to enter the space and working with these tools needs to, to work on. Yeah, and it, and it all comes back to that question around like, like what does the user need in the data product because i think one thing we've hit on in this in this podcast uh, so far is that kind of real time means a lot of different things and so your teacher may be asking for a data product to be real time but what they're what they're saying is like maybe they've been presented with nwea map data like every quarter and they'd really like to see yesterday's testing today like when they're in an active window and so maybe they're not asking for real-time data maybe maybe they're just asking for a different update cadence and it going from quarterly manual to to daily uh, and that that's when you start to get into ad buy and that's when you start to get into automating your your pipelines because maybe you used to download the data every quarter and do some excel magic and produce some some visuals for people to look at um, but now you're starting to think about, well, okay, how do I build robust data pipelines that run on a schedule or have a sensor and they run when, when a new data file gets extracted to an SFTP server by a vendor? How do I work in that? Um, and that, that intersects with all of the, the more analytics engineering stuff that, that's using software development best practices to, to enable that work, to, to take you away from that Excel workflow into that, that SQL, more uh, you know, other types of workflows. I like the idea of ending these with a similar question to all of our guests. And that's for you, what's the most important concept or idea that you want the research side and the academic and administrative side to understand? It might be something you've already talked about in our conversation today or something that you haven't gotten a chance to bring up, but what is the most important point that you would like to have a discussion with, with all three of the languages that we talk about? It's a great question. And I think I, I have to give, give two answers and start with just the, the data person. Uh, and the thing that I always want to press upon people who are working with, with data is, and really with any technology, is that you really need to adopt that lifelong learner mentality. And so we, we always have this like joke, at least once a month in my household, where like we put our two-year-old to bed, she's sleeping, my wife and I are like decompressing on our phones, of course, like scrolling. And she, like she's watching TikTok like down into that stream of content. And then she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm reading BigQuery's release notes. And it's because I'm like jumping between like Google Cloud's release notes or just like release notes of all of the technologies or I'm jumping in the DBT like Slack or I, I love reading the um, support channels in like DBT or Daxter 
to see the questions that people are asking those teams and the answers, because like maybe I'll have the question next week. So like I'll get the answer like this week um, or, or I'll be on YouTube watching videos. And so my message there is just that if you're doing data work in K-12, you should always be looking to hone your craft uh, to always get better at it. And technology is always changing. And that can be hard. It can be hard to keep up because you have existing data products that need to change with it. And that's not easy. That requires like real road mapping and, and planning, but it's necessary because technology is getting better and better. And if you, if you ride the hopefully never ending wave, then your data products just keep getting better and better. Uh, and then to all audiences, I think it's just important to reiterate that this is a dance that we're all involved in together. Like this takes all of us. And the school leader brings a viewpoint that the educator, that the data person, and that the student or parent like doesn't have. Like everybody has something to contribute to the conversation that's going to result in data products that are going to allow people to make decisions based on data that is going to just further increase teachers' abilities to uh, target students appropriately and for those students to learn. And so we're all in it together. We all have our different specialties and our, and our knowledge areas. And it's okay if, if you are not a data person and I spoke a lot of jargon that went over your head because you're probably a really good math teacher and I am a terrible math teacher. And so we all shine in our own areas, but we work together to, to serve our students. Thank you so much, Marcos. That's a great note to end on. Um, we are probably going to have you join our podcast again, our wealth of knowledge, and of course, always learning new things. Um, but for today, we'll go ahead and say that's a wrap. And um, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Marcos. Thanks, Marcos. Thanks, Marcos.